Hi, and welcome to Artscoping. I'm your host, Max Anderson. Today we're going to try something a little different. I just gave a talk before the Federal Bar Association's Virtual Art Law and Litigation Conference on the topic, When Museums Sell Art, Current Controversies About Deaccessioning. Not being a lawyer, I have nothing to offer on the topic of law, but I can talk about some of the external, ethical, governance, and practical considerations of selling art that museum leaders take into account when turning to legal counsel for advice. Unlike most museums around the globe, American cultural institutions depend almost entirely on private support. The Republic was birthed with negligible governmental interest in funding the arts, and it has been ever thus. Beginning with the robber barons of the 19th century, gifts from even tainted sources have been central to cultural organizations. We have no Secretary of Cultural Affairs because the U.S. was formed at a time when culture was either indigenous and ignored or imported from Europe, and we never got around to codifying the arts as a province suited to governmental supervision or support. As a result, museums depend on private donations of art through gift and bequest for some 80 to 90 percent of their acquisitions. Private philanthropy was spurred on by the Revenue Act of 1917, which introduced individual income tax deductions in exchange for charitable donations. Estate tax deductions for charitable bequests were added the next year, followed by corporate tax deductions in 1936. Favorable tax treatment greatly expanded the charitable sector, including the arts, and the system has operated with minimal disruption over time until the 1960s, when protests against apartheid in South Africa, big tobacco, oil companies, and other sources of support gained steam. Simmering resentment within the creative industries about privileges and protections afforded the affluent boiled over in the gilded age of Donald Trump, and scrutiny of allegedly ill-gotten gains by art stoners has followed. Social media has given voice to arts employees beyond the executive offices, mounting antipathy to the fruits of a century-old system of tax-deductible patronage has produced self-reported data documenting compensation gaps along with staff protests, unionization, and calls for the resignation of trustees. The Black Lives Matter movement, spurred on by the murder of George Floyd, has led to rethinking every aspect of museum operations and programs, including the possible monetization of collections. So that's the background of the sudden willingness to rethink a decades-old prohibition against deaccessioning for any purpose other than buying art. In the early 1990s, the Financial Accounting Standards Board, FASB, issued an exposure draft titled Accounting for Contributions Received and Contributions Made and Capitalization of Works of Art, Historical Treasures, and Similar Assets. The exposure draft proposed that museums should capitalize their collections. All incoming donations and acquisitions would henceforth be capitalized, and within three years all prior acquisitions would need to be adding that if a museum failed to have its collection appraised and listed as an asset on the museum's balance sheet, it would be ineligible for an unqualified audit. The museum community rallied, expressing strong opposition to capitalization. Spokespeople included the Metropolitan Museum's board chair, Douglas Dillon, who argued that collections were held in the public trust and should not be treated as financial assets citing the unreasonable burden and exorbitant cost for museums to appraise and assign value. 
FASB subsequently concurred that the costs associated with capitalization for many museums outweighed the benefit. In the ensuing 1993 publication of FASB 116, FASB encouraged the capitalization of collections, but did not require it. However, if museums chose not to capitalize collections, FASB stipulated that objects, quote, must be held for public exhibition, education, or research, in furtherance of public service rather than financial gain, and are protected, kept unencumbered, cared for, and preserved, and are subject to an organizational policy that requires the proceeds for sales of collection items to be used to acquire other items for collections. End quote. The American Alliance of Museums, AAM, revised its Code of Ethics to be in step with FASB 116, and the Association of Art Museum Directors, AAMD, representing some 225 leading art museums today, revised its publication, Professional Practices in Art Museums. In March 2019, FASB revisited its language to follow AAM's Code of Ethics in Accounting Standards Update number 209-03, Not-for-Profit Entities, updating the definition of collections, enlarging the use of proceeds realized from deaccessioning beyond acquiring other objects to defraying the costs of, quote, direct care, end quote, leaving to each collection-holding entity to disclose what is covered within that rubric. AAMD acknowledged the 2019 change, but did not allow its members to take advantage of the direct care provision until April 2020, in the face of economic travails brought on by the pandemic. A new version of AAMD's Professional Practices in Art Museums is slated to be published in 2021, and will include language with respect to the topic, but the membership is divided about how broadly to interpret direct care or even whether to embrace it as a suitable exception. FASB accounting rules were eased in 2019 at the request of the American Alliance of Museums, but unlike AAMD, that organization includes zoos, botanical gardens, natural history museums, and artifacts of minimal or negligible market value, which cannot be compared to the six, seven, and even eight-figure valuations of artworks held by leading art museums in AAMD. While AAMD was allowed to depart from its previous prohibition on selling art except for buying art, in the view of many, it should not avail itself of that latitude without strong strictures and penalties from straying from professional standards. The definition of direct care, many of us feel, should not be left to the discretion of individual museums, but demands a widely shared set of terms and conditions, or confusion will prevail. Would-be donors whose wealth derives from practices under fierce scrutiny will now think twice about subjecting themselves to criticism or censure, or, for that matter, the sale of works of art that they donate, which leaves C-suite leadership of museums in an uncomfortable situation, side with their boards and risk the wrath of staff and the public, show empathy with protests and incur the anger of their boards. Art support is already under pressure, with declining corporate giving and the near disappearance of unfettered general operating grants from foundations. Suspicion is growing about the motivation of those giving to museums, including donations of art. Are these from individuals committed to free expression and abjuring art market influence to buy or show particular artists? Or are they in pursuit of tax deductions, social acceptance, and advanced knowledge that could guide their own art investments? 
Donations of artworks, again the majority of acquisitions, are sure to decline, and private museums are likely to be born in step with these mounting sensitivities. Museums must not only offer greater transparency about donations of art and appreciated property, financial support, and endowment practices, but also show a commitment to greater fairness and compensation, greater representative diversity among their staff, board, collection, and audience, and show the courage of their convictions when it comes to programming. In the age of Twitter, there is no going back to opacity. Museums are being held just as accountable as corporations and government. The pursuit of pressing societal goals should be paid for, however, not by selling art, but by appeals to those inheriting trillions of dollars through the intergenerational transfer of wealth as baby boomers fade from the scene. The pandemic resulted in a downturn, loss of jobs, and diminished public service. But World War II led the Metropolitan Museum of Art to pack up more than 15,000 artworks from the permanent collection and ship them off to be stored underground by a property near Philadelphia. By contrast, the year-long evaporation of admissions revenue, which, in the best of times, accounts in most museums for a relatively modest percentage of art museum income, cannot be used as a pretext to raid collections. Museums have fallen victim to the illusion that they can subsist from commercial activities. Museums are, however, charitable organizations and stray from an educational mandate at the risk of jeopardizing their tax-exempt status. The pandemic has revealed the strength of museums as non-profit entities receiving donations, as well as revealing the relatively modest financial returns of pseudo-commercial activities. As to deaccessioning, most objects in museum collections are in storage. Why? Not because they're hoarded by staff, or are unworthy of being preserved. Most are made of fugitive media and sensitive to ultraviolet light, including prints, photographs, drawings, textiles, delicate organic materials, and can only be rotated on and off view. Paintings not on view are often lent, rotated on and off, used in exhibitions, and studied by scholars. The sitting-in-storage myth isn't directed to libraries, just because certain books aren't in routine circulation doesn't mean they should be disposed of. Hospitals don't forfend expertise in certain ailments that occur only rarely. Accordingly, alleging that collections are sitting in storage is a misguided excuse to dispose of works. Some museums may have to close or shrink and see their collections disposed of, but each state's attorney general should, in such cases, see to it that donor intent is honored and that they are transferred or lent to other museums, as Brooklyn did by transferring its costume collection to the Metropolitan Museum, and the Terra Foundation did with long-term loans to the Art Institute of Chicago. The inflated contemporary art market is fueling interest in disposal of artworks, and is a highly unreliable market, as we've seen with precipitous surges and declines in the valuation of NFTs, just weeks after the irrational exuberance greeting their arrival on the scene. While DEI goals are essential, the objection of a majority of museum directors is that selling art is not the way to pay for those goals. The intergenerational transfer of wealth is the best way to pay for these. It sometimes takes just one person with means in a community to leave their estate in a will benefiting a museum. Not just billionaires can make this happen. I believe we should continue to consider art collections not as monetizable assets, 
but is the foundation of an institution's public purpose. Thanks for listening to Artscoping. We'll be back next week with an exciting guest.